0: Hello and welcome to the Pet Pod. This is the podcast that's all about pets. I'm Zara Boland. I'm a vet, a consultant and an all-around animal lover. And each episode, I'm going to be joined by one or two of my veterinary friends and colleagues from across the pet healthcare industry so that we can offer you handy tips and some expert advice to help keep your beloved family pet healthy and above all happy. This podcast is supported by Umove, the UK's number one vet joint supplement brand for dogs. Clinically proven to work in just six weeks, UMove is recommended for older dogs who are starting to slow down and show some signs of stiffness. Now, as many of you know, my own dog, Rumba, is already nine years old. And like many other dog owners, I'm always on the lookout for ways to make life a little bit more comfortable for her as she gets older. And that's why she's been taking Umove for a few months now. But UMove also have a range of products available to help younger dogs and indeed those canine athletes to stay on top form and you'll be pleased to know it's also available for cats, horses, and even us humans. Now what I really love about the team at UMove is that they're on a mission to make sure every dog, cat, and horse lives their most active life for life. That's why they're offering a 30% discount code to everyone who listens to the PetPod. Simply visit umove.co.uk and enter the code PETPOD30 when you get to the checkout. Plus, you can also be in with the chance to win a year's supply of Umove for your own dog, cat or horse. Enter the draw at umove.co.uk slash pages slash petpod and the winner will be drawn at random and announced on the 13th of January. So good luck! So today we're talking about pet food and how it can actually vary according to how old our pets are and what life they're leading. And this is actually a subject that I'm personally really passionate about because diet and nutrition is an area that I've spent many years working in when it comes to our pets, helping some of the world's biggest and also some of the smallest and newest brands to research and develop foods that benefit the health and well-being of your pet. And much like we're aware with our own health, what we eat actually matters. It's exactly the same for our pets. We are what we eat. And so diet plays a major role in keeping our pets healthy, active, and well-nourished. And it can also affect everything from brain development, teeth and bone health, right through to how shiny their coat is. And actually, that shine and condition of their coat can indicate their underlying health to us, too, in terms of malnourishment. But to make sure I'm answering questions that many pen owners are going to be thinking, I've actually roped in the help of my producer, Julie. And Julie's going to be quizzing me during this episode, so I'm going to be in the hot seat. Please be nice to me, Jules. Hi, Zara. Hello, Julie. Okay,
1: first off, explain to me a bit what we mean by life stage versus lifestyle.
0: It's actually really, really simple. Life stage is is linked to the age of your pet. So Broadly speaking, it's divided into growth, adult and senior, and lifestyle is actually linked to the life that they lead. So in cats, for example, lifestyle diets might be linked to indoor living, neutered status, because all of this has a different impact on the metabolism on the body. And in dogs, it could be a working dog, it could be um, a dog that needs to lose weight, same for cats. So really, it's lifestyle gets a little bit more complex but it's linked how your dog or your cat lives their life so you need to be taking both these
1: factors into consideration though when you're looking at what's the best type of food to give your animal
0: absolutely the pet food companies, uh, most of them have actually put an an awful lot of research into this area. And so there's a wealth of evidence that backs up the reasoning behind why we need to feed our puppies and kittens differently to how we feed our adult cats differently, again, to how we feed our our senior pets. And when it comes to lifestyle, there's again, a multitude of of science that's been done research to, to back up different nutrients that might benefit specific elements of a pet's lifestyle.
1: So I think probably as a pet owner, it can be quite confusing, though, even maybe we could talk a little bit first of all about sort of when you've got a puppy or kitten, because it seems a bit more straightforward there to think, Okay, well, they're young and they need something different, much like small humans need different types of food.
0: All right, well. Well, puppies and kittens are growing, and they're growing really, really, really rapidly. And so if you compare a puppy to an adult dog, a growing puppy might require as much as two to four times more energy per kilogram of body weight than their adult, um, their adult version of themselves. And so that's because all this all this growth um, and, and energy requirement is going into building muscle, it's going into building bone, it's going into building teeth, it's going into building organs, it's going into building the brain. So every single nutrient you put into your puppy or your kitten as they grow, it's snatched up by the body and it's utilized. And so that's why we really need to tailor food to allow them to reach their optimal growth. And that's what puppy and kitten food does. So generally speaking, it's higher in protein. Because protein is actually the building block to nearly every single cell in the body, and it's higher in in good fats, and it's also higher in, in carbohydrates to allow for energy. Because energy carbohydrates are the quickest and easiest way to obtain energy. Pets don't need them. They actually do not have any requirement, essential requirement for carbohydrates. The reason why they're in most um, commercially formulated pet foods is actually to allow energy access and to allow for calories. So that kind of frees up the protein, if you like, to do its job of building muscle in puppies, as an, as an example.
1: And then when you start to kind of wean your puppy or kitten onto more adult food, what age should that really be taking place?
0: In kittens, it's pretty straightforward. In kittens, we consider, um, we consider them to reach adulthood at around 12 months of age. In puppies, it, it's more complex because we have a huge variation in body size. We talk about dogs. So if you look at your toy and mini kind of size dogs, so let's say less than five kilos or less than 10 pounds if you're if you're using the imperial system, then really we consider them to have reached maturity or adult weight by the time they're nine months of age. If you look at small breed dogs or small sized dogs, and that would be an adult weight of say five to ten kilos or maybe coming up to just under 20 pounds in the imperial system, then they would generally be considered to reach maturity around 10 months of age. And then medium sized dogs, which is sort of 10 to 25 kilo adult body weight size or less than 50 pounds, um, we consider them to be sort of 12 months they've reached maturity. But it gets much more complex when you look at large and giant breed size dogs like my dog, Rumba, who's a Bernese Mountain Dog, because they don't tend to reach maturity until they reach 18 to 24 months of age, depending on their full body weight as an adult. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, so it's pretty complex in dogs. And actually, by the time a dog reaches full maturity, most of them are going to have increased their birth weight by 40 to 50 times. So there's a huge amount of growing to be done when they're little. Wow, it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, and that, and that really, that's why puppy nutrition and kitten nutrition is so, so important, that we need to be able to provide them with the nutrients to allow and optimize this growth. Um, we need to provide them with the right fats so that we can help brain and vision development and one of those is is a fatty acid called DHA they also need to have and this is super important for puppies the right levels of calcium to phosphorus ratio to allow proper bone growth and and so I would urge anyone listening please 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 do not supplement any puppy food with um, or kitten food with calcium or phosphorus because if you get that that balance wrong what will happen is it leads to bone deformities and it's it's an awful thing as a vet to witness um, to witness it we think we're doing the right thing but actually if you feed a properly formulated, complete and balanced puppy food or kitten food to your pet, it has the right proportion and ratio of calcium and phosphorus. Do not mess with that ratio because it, it can have really serious consequences for your pet.
1: So that's, that brings me on to something that is reading labels of, I mean, you know, we've mm. sort of, as humans started to get used to the idea of, well, um, some nice handy color coding often going on, uh, on the front of <laughs> labels, but, you know, flip over to the back and try and see what the, all the ingredients are on something. And it can be quite confusing because like you say, certain things can be called, you know, it might be easy if you just said, oh, it's calcium, but start using its proper scientific name and people <laughs> don't always, always get what it means. But um, so when, when you say complete, a complete food, what do you mean by a complete food, you Know, what what should we be looking at in terms of making sure our pets have got that?
0: well complete if it's a complete food it has to legally it has to say that on the label so in the uk there are two different ways to to label your food it has to fall under either complete or complementary complementary generally means it's a treat so it doesn't contain all the nutrients that your dog or your cat or your puppy or your kitten needs for healthy optimal maintenance or or growth depending on their life stage if it's called complete then it's been formulated and appropriately researched to have the exact amount and balance of nutrients that are required for whatever age your your pet is at and whatever lifestyle they're living. So it's really important if you if you have a dog or a cat and you're feeding them commercially prepared food, that it you look for food that says complete and balanced on the front. If it says complementary, then it's not got all the nutrients that they require and you're going to need to supplement it. But the danger is you don't necessarily know what to supplement it with if it just says complementary. So in, in simple terms, a complementary food is generally considered to be a treat and a complete food is, is what we consider to be a meal food
1: and pet food should be
0: labeled one or other of those when you look at it absolutely it has to be legally labeled as complete or complementary. there's 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 no option if it has neither on it then it's not a legal pet food <laughs> important to know <laughs>
1: <laughs> so how do we go about you I mean there's so many brands you go into any pet food shop or look online where do we begin because it's just it's a bit of a minefield out there to, to
0: decide on the right one yeah it, it, it can be there's so much choice in many ways we're very lucky because there's a huge range of choice available for our pets that that never existed before and I think you know that actually goes hand in hand with the ongoing research that we're doing into into pets I mean gosh when I graduated from vet school we hadn't even worked out the DNA of dogs and now we not not, not only know their DNA and and the genome of dog makeup but actually down to the the molecular level of what protein and genetically is genetically coded to do what so so science has massively advanced in just in the last decade or two and and so it can be really dazzling when you get into the into the supermarket aisle or the or the pet specialty store it can just be you know gosh where do I start I think let's stick with the basics if you've got an adult dog or an adult cat the first things first you want to have a complete and balanced pet food if you're buying commercially prepared pet food it, ideally it should have a high quality protein as protein helps to maintain lean body mass or muscle, in other words. It is kind of a a good source of energy and it's important for repair of of muscles and and ongoing maintenance. So as as I said earlier, protein is really one of the most fundamental nutrients we need as well as our pets. The second thing is to make sure that the ingredients on the ingredient list are considered to be digestible ingredients. And so by that I mean, you know, let's look for a a ingredient list that lists um, recognizable ingredients. So chicken or beef or good quality grains. Let's recognise what they are on, on the list. That's a good starting point.
1: So if you turn around and look at look at the ingredients, then it should you should recognise what most of those things are. And presumably it's true that it's the largest, much like with human food, whatever the bulk of is in the food com, comes first. So it's in order of kind of percentage of, of what's in the pack, as it were.
0: Yeah, so in, in pet food is actually listed in terms of um, in terms of descending weight order. So the first listed ingredient is the one that should be most prolific in the food. But, and there is a but to include here, you need to consider that a lot of food is dry food when we we talk about the pet food industry. And so what you need to do is remove the water from that ingredients list to work out what the most prolific ingredient is so for example if you've got a dry food and it's got chicken as the first listed ingredient that's the volume of chicken or the weight of chicken in its wet form that's gone in so so you what you want to do is, is remove the water from that and generally speaking if it's if it's the first listed ingredient it's so high up that list um, and so far in advance of other ingredients that it will still remain the first listed ingredient but I think it's kind of a, a side topic, but it's something to be aware of. It's when we start talking about pet food, if we're looking at dry food, you cannot directly compare dry food and a wet food just by looking at the label alone. So on every pet food label, there are requirements um, by law. And no matter where you get your pet food from, one of those requirements is that it has to have what's called a guaranteed analysis or what's considered a panel of analytical constituents, which is a bit more complex. But basically, all this means is that it's a legal requirement to guarantee the maximum or minimum level of nutrients, key nutrients, key macronutrients in that pet food. And generally that we're talking about protein, fat, fiber, moisture, and what's called ash. I'm not going to get into all the details. Suffice to say that ash isn't cigarette ash. It's actually just um, mineral deposits that are in the food. But what's important here is that the guaranteed analysis is calculated on what's called an as-fed or as-is basis. This is the reason why you can't directly compare a dry and a wet food on the label alone, because this analysis includes water. And obviously, when you have a dry food and a wet food, you've got a huge variation in the level of water content in both. So to make it really simple, look, let me give you an example. Let's say that on a dry food, we have a guarantee of 27% crude protein and a 10% moisture. And then you pick up a can of dog food and it says... 10% 10% protein. Well, if you just look directly at the two labels on this guaranteed analysis panel, you would say, oh, well, obviously the dry food has much more protein. That's going to be better for my dog. I'll take that one. Well, no, hold on. Take a step back. What you need to do is take the water out of the wet food because dry food has approximately 8 to 10% of, of moisture in it, but wet food can have anywhere from 60 to 90% of water in it. So if you have a can of, of dog food that says it's got 10% of protein in it, well that's 10 percent of the remaining let's say 75 percent water in the can that you've picked up so to actually work out the the protein content you've got you have to divide the, the amount of protein over what's left in terms of nutrient volume in the can and multiply it by hundred so in this case a dry matter of 10 percent in a canned food that contains 75% water, the calculation is 10 over 25 multiplied by 100. So you actually have 40% protein in that can, which is more than what's on the dry food. So it's a simple kind of example. It's kind of complex to talk about it. It's easier to show diagrams and, and write. But but basically, the, the message here is to be aware when you pick up two packs of different types of food, you've always got to bear in mind that they both contain water and you have to subtract the water content from the, the total to be able to work out the actual percentages of nutrients. Hope that makes sense. Okay, gosh, it is a little bit complicated, isn't it? But basically, you're saying
1: just kind of be aware. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit more about wet foods in a little while. But just to go back to dry food, when you're looking on the back of the pack, and you should be recognising the things that are in there. So that's fine, You you pick up a pack and it's got some, you know, chicken and some grains and some rice and some carrots and some whatever in there and then you go okay that's great and then it's for an an adult dog that's it bingo give it a go
0: ish (laughs) ish
1: (laughs) and it's the ish that I'm interested in
0: (laughs) okay look let me recap for you I know it gets really complex let's just break down a a pet food label into the simplest terms okay the first thing is is it complete and balanced is it complementary the second thing is look at the ingredients list the ingredients are listed in in descending weight order. So, kind of a good rule of thumb is to look for what we consider quality protein source to be the first listed ingredient. So, ideally, a meat or or egg or something like that. And then, once you've you've ticked that box, then the next thing to do is look at the analytical constituents panel, and that's where you've got your percentage of crude protein and your percentage of other nutrients. And the fundamental rule there. Is to remember that these percentages are on what's considered to be an as fed basis. So you cannot compare, directly compare a dry food label with a wet food label because what you have to do is remove the water content first and then you can more accurately compare the levels of nutrients within them. Okay.
1: So there, there comes an issue with wet food then. So, you know, why might you have, you know, pouches or tins of wet food in with a, a, a dry kibble for your
0: pets? the thing is we we need variety our pets need variety and so cats in particular are very very driven by mouthfeel palatability so not just the the texture of food but how it feels in their mouth and so it's important to have variation of format available. So some cats will only eat wet food. Some cats will only eat dry food. And this becomes an issue if further down the line, they develop um, a health condition. And so we haven't even talked upon <laughs> diets specifically for, for to nutritionally manage health conditions, but there are some, and a good example of that is, is kidney disease in cats. Um, and so if a cat has unfortunately, develops um, renal failure or a kidney problem, then they will need to go on a very, very specifically formulated diet that will be recommended by your vet. And it's important that they eat this particular diet because as your kidney fails, and this happens in people as well, it loses the ability to kind of metabolize protein properly and to, to kind of extract the nitrogen from the system and extract it from the body. And so that can cause problems. And so what you really want to do is feed a low protein food to any pet in, with kidney issues. So if if your if your cat is is accustomed and, and determined to only eat one type of food, then there has to be variety available to provide them with the ability to manage nutritionally manage their condition in different formats. But but also to be honest, some cats just and dogs get bored so it's nice to be able to offer them different textures and different methods of manufacture so that it gives them a different palatability um, experience and so there's a, a huge amount of manufacturing methods available now much more than there were even a couple of years ago so there's everything from your your classic kibble your extruded dry food to your canned or wet food to your pouches and and a lot of reasons why pouches and small cans are popular is because they allow single serve portions to be given. And so, you know, instead of having olden days and inverted commas, a huge big can of pet food that you might last for a few days and just scoop bits out every, every mealtime for your pet. Well, now you have much smaller cans that allow for a very fresh, uh, flavoursome and uh, tempting meal at each mealtime. So... So I think canned and pouches have a a very strong place at the moment, and and, and cats and dogs love them. But on top of that, you've now got freeze-dried foods, you've got dehydrated foods, you've got raw foods, you've got frozen foods, and of course, there's still homemade foods. So so there's a lot of different options available, and I think, just like us people, it's important to have different formats um, to mix it up for our pets, as well as to to have them available when they really need them, um, when they're not well.
1: So you would recommend like a variety? Because I think for a lot of people, they go brilliant. My dog likes X brand and that's it. They just feed them that, you know, for, for the rest of their lives almost. But you would say it is worth kind of trying other brands and just helping them have a little bit of variety in terms of, of what they're being fed over the years.
0: Uh, look, I think I think they, my own dog's a classic example. She gets bored. <laughs> in fact, my, my pets are kind of the reverse of normality. My dog is like a giant cat and she's the fussiest eater I've ever come across. And she really will turn up her nose and walk away. My cat, on the other hand, he's like a wolf, and he'll eat anything you put in front of him, and he'll devour it. He loses all neck muscles and just face plants into the food until it's gone. And if my dog doesn't eat it, he'll go across and chow down on hers like it's you know massive gobstoppers. But he still doesn't stop him. So, um, so yeah, I think there's always always room to to mix it up for our pets and offer them variety. But, and there is a but here as well, just be careful some um, pets are used to having different variety of foods and different brands and different types others are you know particularly if they've been fed one type for a very long time they could have quite a, a sensitive digestive system if you then try and switch them suddenly to a different food so what we always recommend in the veterinary field is to do it gradually and slowly and this is to allow their gut to adapt to the new food because with any new food or any dietary change it can cause a tummy upset we hope it doesn't but sometimes it can especially if, you're, if your pet's used to only one specific type of food and has been for weeks, months, or even years. And so generally, the rule of thumb is to say, today we're feeding them 100% of their, of their old food. Tomorrow, I'm going to start introducing the new. So I'm going to bring in 10% of that to 90 of the old. Then you go 80, 20, and all the way through until you're, you've weaned them straight across onto the, onto the new food. And we say seven to 10 days, generally speaking, to do that.
1: Um, Just before we move on to specialist diets, Sarah, just one last point on the actual feeding process. How important is it to make sure that you're weighing out your food or feeding them the recommended amount, particularly when it comes to a pet who, like your cat, who will literally just eat everything and then some
0: more? It's vital. (laughs) It's vital to weigh. Everybody should have weighing scales. Everyone. (laughs) You know, it's really interesting. I did a study um, a number of years ago now. Um, where we were we were helping pet owners to help their pets to lose weight. And so, you know, I actually went into their homes because some of them I couldn't understand why they weren't losing weight. They, I'd formulated the amount, I'd given them the food, and and yet they would come in and go, nope, nope, not losing weight. And I was like, well, I don't understand. I've done the mats, I've done the side, just, this isn't making sense. And so I actually went in and visited them in their homes. and And what was really eye-opening for me I went into this owner's home and I said, okay, so show me how much you're giving tibbles every day. And uh, and she goes, oh, here we go. And she tipped it out into the bowl. And I went, okay, great. Now let's weigh that, shall we? And we got the weighing scales and we weighed it. And I said, okay, now let's look at what the feeding guideline says on the pack. And lo and behold, she was feeding four times the recommended daily amount. So she was doing it by eye. But, you know, that's an extreme example. And it certainly explains why they weren't losing weight. So I felt a little bit better. <laughs> but um, But the danger and the real danger specifically with dry food is because the kibble is so energy dense and so tasty and so packed full of nutrients, it becomes really, really important to weigh it. So every commercially prepared pet food will have feeding guidelines on the back of the pack use these guidelines, but remember that they're only guidelines. And so there's a range, generally speaking, there's a range. So if your your cat weighs five kilos and the back of the bag says to feed 60 to 70 grams of, of eggs per day, and you're trying to get that cat to lose weight, I would always err on the, on the lower end of that range. And if it's not, you know, if your cat's still putting weight on for example and you're concerned talk to your vet talk to your vet nurse um, because we can help we can really help we might be able to, we might need to change the food that they're on we might need to recommend a different food or there's other things we can do as well like um, you know something really simple i used to do a lot of work with a very good friend of mine peter neville an animal behaviorist and his 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 favorite favorite thing and for for very good reason was to throw away do away with food bowls get a, get rid of the bowl because you know our pets don't need to do any work, so he had a really good point in terms of making our pets forage and work for their food. And so, you know, planting kibble is great for doing this. I don't recommend using wet food for this, especially on a hot day; it can get very smelly. But um, but you know, scattering your your dry kibble around the place to make them make your pets work um, for their meal can be really helpful. And you know, exercising is good too. So even people think cats don't exercise. There's loads of different ways to get your cats to exercise um, and get them working for their food. And, and you know, we can train them as well and reward them with treats. So that's a whole different topic. I'm getting off track, but you hear what I'm saying. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and also when you're saying that, um, that's that sort of makes me think that, you know, you have to take into consideration, like, that's great, you feed them their portion of, of food at, um, twice a day or, or whenever, however often you feed your pet. But then if you're giving them a nice big treat in the middle of the day, which is kind of adding to that, you obviously have to take that into consideration
0: as part of their overall daily amount. Absolutely. And I think that's a really, really valid point, Julie, because again, another eye-opening learning for me um, is what people consider to be a normal treat for their pet actually can be their entire daily calorie allowance. So, you know, another example of this is lots of people will maybe share a little bit of toast with their dog when they're having breakfast in the morning. Please don't do this. (laughs) Or if they're having, you know, lunch or afternoon snack, they might, you know, share a little bit of that. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because, you know, cheese is another massive culprit. If you think about it in terms of our body size and our pet's body size, What's tiny for us makes up a massive portion of, of a daily calorie allowance for a pet. And so generally, again, a rule of thumb here is a treat shouldn't exceed more than 10% of a daily energy requirements for any pet. And so really, they should be kept to a minimum. And feeding human foods to pets rapidly, rapidly escalates well past the, their, their daily recommended calorie limit
1: hard when you've got those those big eyes looking up at you there isn't it no
0: it's not no it's not no it's not it doesn't have to be a food treat (laughs) playing cuddles they all work well so
1: let's maybe move on to some of those lifestyles that you mentioned earlier on and, and some of the times that actually it can be beneficial to um, help our pets with a specific diet that's, um if they're going through something taking place in their life that they might need some assistance with.
0: Okay. Well, I think some of the, the obvious ones are, we've touched on them already, weight loss diets. Um... So these are often marketed as light diets. Um, So they're not weight loss per se. And in fact, to be honest, you really need to speak with your vet before you you start a weight loss diet with your pet because um, it's very dangerous to just reduce the quantity um, of the food that you're feeding because the risk there is if if you have an adult maintenance diet of whatever lifestyle and the feeding guideline says feed between X and Y and you decide to feed way less than that range, there's a real danger that you're going to nutritionally imbalance your pet and they'll end up with, um, with a nutrient deficiency. So don't ever do a weight loss diet without talking to your vet because that does have to be carefully monitored to make sure that they have um, the right nutrients in the right proportion. But other types of, of lifestyle diets are diets specifically for neutered pets. And these are, these are really important because we do know now that when we neuter our dogs or our cats, that their metabolism does slow down and so they're not able to burn up the the same energy as they were they would have been prior to being neutered so Again, specific diets have been formulated to allow for this change in, in metabolism. And so that's why they're they're marketed as such. Other ones might be sensitive diets. Um, and these would be specifically formulated for pets that might have a sensitive digestion. Again, we touched on it just a moment ago. But um, but good examples of this would be that they might contain some prebiotics. So that's kind of food for the good bacteria in the gut. And examples of that are like chicory and inulin and nice sources of fiber. But they might also have specific um fatty acids that will help um, decrease inflammation, for example, in, in the gastrointestinal tract. Other ones might be um, activity or working or performance diets. So that would be, example of that would be police dogs or military dogs or um, guide dogs, dogs that are working really hard and burning up way more calories than those that that tend to be sitting at home with their, with their owners and going for one or two walks a day. And these Diets would be um, again specifically formulated with higher levels of energy, but more specifically um, targeted at maybe extra um, levels of protein and specific levels of, of very targeted um, fats and other, other nutrients like antioxidants to help minimize oxidative damage on, on working joints. So that's just an example of some lifestyle diets. But I think one area that we haven't touched on that I do want to talk about are our senior pets. And that's an area that is emerging that we do we are learning a lot more about now as well because our pets are living for longer so just like us our pets are living longer too and we want them to live longer and healthier lives so there was a myth a long time ago that diets high in protein were bad for, for senior pets this isn't true the only time that a diet um, high in protein is bad for our pets is if they have specifically got a kidney problem. Most healthy pets don't. So high quality digestible protein is really important for aging pets because they tend, just like us, they tend to lose muscle mass as they age. And so the protein will help to maintain that. Um, but generally speaking, you know, our senior pets, their metabolism will change. So even if we don't see any changes on the outside, changes will start to happen on the inside. So it's again, it's important to consider switching your pet to a senior diet as they age. And um, this is to account for things that we can't see like a slowing metabolism, um, changes in activity, changes in body condition, changes in their immune function. It'll get a little less efficient as they age. So will their digestive system. So they mightn't be able to digest and absorb the nutrients as well as they were when they were younger. So again, high quality nutrients are important. Um, They'll have some changes in their sensory functions again changes in their oral health so their their teeth and so in sort of general terms dogs are considered to be senior at about seven years of age but again it, it is size dependent <laughs> um, and cats the same although cats are living longer um, and so it's not unheard of well we did a podcast on this not so long ago but it's not unheard of for cats now to be living up to the age of 20 and even beyond and so to consider a cat senior at seven is probably pushing it and i think that's that's starting to change i personally would consider a cat to be middle-aged around seven seven to twelve and then senior from maybe 12 on and then as we learned the term from sarah caney super senior from 15 and would you say with all these specialist diets presumably much like we say
1: often you know speak to your vet about making sure that they're on the right kind of diet for their life stage and lifestyle
0: Always. And I I think even before you talk to your vet, talk to the pet food company. Call them up. All commercial pet food companies have have a phone line or a or an address. Um, Again, it's a legal requirement. You have to be able to get in touch with them. So call them, speak with them and ask them, you know, what they would recommend for your your individual pet. And if you want more information or your pet has a specific health condition that you're worried about, just go ahead and talk to your own vet or vet nurse. In fact, vet nurses are super well educated when it comes to pet food nutrition and often much more so than us vets.
1: You talk about fussy pets a little bit earlier on with with Rumba. You go to this trouble of choosing what you think is going to be a really nice food for your dog or your cat. They turn their nose up at it. I mean, how long should you keep trying and how much should you hold out before
0: you just go, fine, here, of whatever it is I know you are going to eat? This is so hard and so individual. I mean, as you said earlier, they just give you that look. I mean, it breaks your heart and you just want to go, okay, okay, I'll give you something else. Um, To be serious, in cats, Don't wait. Don't wait, because cats have a very real risk of of um, entering anorexia, and anorexia it has a different meaning in the pet world. So, if you don't feed your your cat for up to twenty four hours, it's, it's it's quite serious. Cats are anatomically and physiologically developed to graze, and so they they need to eat frequently, little meals frequently. Um, and so, don't ever hold out on your cat. If your cat's not eating, find something to get your cat to eat, because if they stop eating and they they kind of self-starve it can lead to liver problems and it can become a, a bit of a veterinary emergency so that's probably why we we have a term for fussy cats because they've learned this about us and so we truly are their slaves but there is a very real health risk behind not feeding your cat so your dog is is a little bit of a different matter depending on the dog they they tend to be a bit more robust and so they can go without food for for longer than cats they they don't suffer the same um metabolic consequences but to be honest i i wouldn't wait more than 24 to 36 hours without feeding a pet um you know they're they're not they're not designed for it and so that said my dog can be really stubborn and i have held out 36 hours on her and then just given in and i have fed her an alternative food and she's gone great that's all i wanted so (laughs) she has me well trained um but yeah, you can be a little bit more bit hardline with your with your dogs, but but don't don't be with your cats.
1: And and actually cats obviously they should little and often. With dogs, does it matter how often you feed them? Because my own dog I used to try feeding her twice a
0: day and she only, only was interested in eating once a day, really. Yeah, we we do recommend twice a day. Um i I mean it does depend on your dog, and some dogs may not want to eat more than once a day. Um but generally speaking, research has indicated that we we ideally should be feeding them twice a day because you know a bit like us Um, you know they have a a fast overnight we break the fast um, in the morning and then we feed them again in the evening so normally speaking I'd I'd recommend two meals a day there are cases where you might want to feed more frequently if for example you've got huskies and you're running sled races in Alaska Um, but some dogs might, might not want to eat more than once a day and that happens as well so I think you know listen to your own pet you know your pet better than anyone else and so if they if you're feeding them once a day but they seem hungry and they're they're looking for food then you know definitely consider feeding them twice a day on the other hand if you're feeding them twice a day and they're leaving most of the food in the morning or the evening then maybe they don't they don't need two meals a day but on that note puppies need to be fed much more frequently and and so do kittens than adult dogs so normally we would feed three times a day in puppies and kittens well four times a day when you're weaning them then you reduce to three then back down to two Sure. And also actually just saying what you, um about the sort of smaller foods, I guess
1: another time is when your pet's poorly as well, I guess that's another time to sort of look at their diet a little bit isn't it, or if they've
0: had surgery absolutely absolutely yeah when when pets are are ill they they probably don't just like us, they don't feel like eating, but again, there are some very specifically formulated foods on the market that are really really high in palatability um super dense in the right nutrients and also very easy to take um and so your vet will recommend um, will recommend a food like that if your if your pet's not well.
1: Okay, so uh, one of the things that seems to have been quite popular a sort of rise in in raw diet feeding or natural feeding. I mean, what you know, what does that really mean, and is it a good thing or not?
0: I actually think we should do a podcast on this um, because it's so controversial but I think you know for my my top one's worth is I'm wary of it I'm wary because I've seen I've seen issues you know I've personally had to to refer um, a dog for surgery that had been fed raw bones um, and they lodged right in the in the thorax in the chest area at the entrance to the stomach so it required a specialist referral because you had to open the chest to do the surgery to remove the bone so it was life-threatening condition the the dog couldn't swallow and was having difficulty breathing and so this was because a a bone was fed that just cracked and 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 enlarged right at the um the entrance of the stomach so i don't recommend um feeding bones cooked or raw i also worry about raw food diets because of the high levels of bacteria that they contain and this is where the controversy comes in because obviously um raw meat has salmonella um so it's it's a risk not just to your pet but also to you as a person preparing it um if you're not appropriately hygienic and and cleaning the surfaces and wiping down everything you use um the controversy comes in because obviously um every animal just like we're animals and our pets are animals we all have different types of bacteria throughout our gastrointestinal tract and so actually it's quite normal for for dogs to have Um, bacteria such as E. coli and salmonella and so this is where the controversy comes in because how much is too much and so I think it might be an individual situation whereby you feed a raw food diet that's high in salmonella and it actually tips over in that pet's um, own gastrointestinal system and immune system into into ill health and um, GI disease or your, your pet's able to tolerate it because they've built up an immunity to that particular strain or type of, of bacteria that, that's also in the food that you're feeding. So I think it's a really interesting topic. I think the jury's out. There's there's a lot of information still to be kind of sifted through, and, and I'd like to see some, some hard science, not just anecdotal. Well, that's all for this episode of the Pet Pod. I really hope it's helped you to understand a little bit more about what to look for when you're examining the labels on your packets of pet food. But don't forget that nobody knows your pet like you do. So if you're in any way worried or concerned at all about their health or any element of their diet, please make sure to contact your own local veterinary practice. My thanks again to our sponsors, Youmove. And don't forget to check out their website for a chance to win a year's supply of supplements for your dog, your cat, or even your horse. And to make sure you receive the next episode, please do like and subscribe. Thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.